Welcome to Heartland Christian Center Sermon of the Week. You will be able to find more Heartland sermons at hcc.ag or Heartland Christian Center YouTube channel. Please like, follow, and share this podcast with others. We hope you enjoy this week's message by our lead pastor, Dr. Phil Willingham. I told the first service, I want to remind you, it's the church's 75th birthday, not mine, okay? I'm tired of people telling me I look good to be 75, so I'm telling Come on, give me a break, would you? Hey, it's good to be home, good to be back. We was away last week. We Every two years, for some of you don't know, that our entire family, my son, his family, my daughter, their family, our family, Rhonda, and this year we added my mother to the mix. It was great. Sixteen of us went out and stayed in one house for, well, we stayed five days, some stayed seven, and... Um, but it was great. I wish we'd put up a video camera because Sunshine and Mom stayed in the same room. That, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I guarantee you there was some footage there that might have got us some money along the way. Having my 89-year-old mom stay in the same room with our beautiful Sunshine, they are two peas in a pot. They are stuck in their way. They have their way of doing it, and it's the only way of doing it. But, hey, it's great. It's good to be home. And uh, I want you to grab your worship guide. We want to welcome the campuses that's joining us online. And those watching online, wherever you're viewing, our Wanita, Norchatson, and Hebron, we're excited. You know, I, and I'm, we're in this great series on questions this year. And uh, one of history's classic problems is is the relationship that we have between God and government. One of the things that we discuss a lot is one of the things that I think brings some tension sometime in our relationship. And there, there's, there, there's various views that people have about that. Some, some people are inadamant that country is supreme and the good of the nation is above everything else. And our ultimate commitment as individuals should always be patriotism. And there's others who say, well, wait, wait, wait a minute, wait, wait a minute, God, God is supreme, right? Come on. And if we have any other allegiance to any power besides God, then, then, then we weaken our commitment as Christ's followers to Jesus Christ. And then there are those who say that the two are the same, God and the country. They go hand in hand. What's good for God is good for the country. What's good for the country is good for God. And we wrestle with that in our culture today. And, I, and this morning, as we celebrate in the next couple of days the birthday of our nation, I, I, I'm just going to be honest with you. I'm going to challenge a little bit of your worldview today when it comes to God and country. What do we owe the country? What, what do we owe God? And as we've been looking at many of the questions that Jesus, Jesus would often challenge the the prevailing religious practices of that day, he, he challenged them with, with sometimes some probing, even naughty questions. It was a time that, that he, he questioned the observance that they, they had such an observance and such a commitment to the Sabbath. They had this, this, this hyper-commitment to the Sabbath day, and they, they were so committed to legalism, but but they left out on meeting human needs, and Jesus challenged that. There's another time that, that Jesus challenged their self-righteous judgmentalism that, that looked at the minor faults in others and 
overlook their own major faults, right? And we talked a little bit about that a few weeks ago, the speck in the eye and the plank that's in our eye. And oftentimes, Jesus would scrutinize the relationship between God and state. And when we start considering the question of where where does the teaching of Jesus fit in right now with, with all the current politics that's going on? And as immediately, as immediately as when we start talking about that, we start thinking about questions like abortion or immigration or racism or social justice, and, and there's all kind of, of current issues out there. But if you and I, and I, I know that we do, I'm going to preach to the choir on some of this, if, if, if we take our relationship with Jesus Christ and his lordship in our lives, if we, if we take it seriously, then we're always thinking about how can we act and how can we respond in our culture today in a, in a loving way? How can we, in light of our vertical relationship with God and our horizontal relationship with other men and women, how can we make sure that we're honoring God in that? But so rather than just kind of go through the current list of issues, I want us to take note of of two major points that that shines through the Scripture from Mark chapter 12. Again, Jesus is going to be approached, and he's going to be asked a highly charged question concerning the competing claims of God and Caesar. And every time that the Pharisees come to Jesus, they were always trying to trip him up, wasn't it? They, they, they were trying to make light of what he was doing. So I want us to look at Mark chapter 12, and we'll, we'll pick up on verse 13. The Bible says, and they sent to him some of the Pharisees and some of the Her- Herodonians to trap him in his talk. And they came to him, teacher, and they came and said to him, teacher, and what's this? I love it. We know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion. For you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. You're talking about sucking up. Come on. You're talking about trying to dress, rob. Oh, we, we know this. We know this. And then they said, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, why put me to test? Bring me a Daenerys. And he looked at it. And they brought one. And he said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. And Jesus said to them, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar, and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. What what do we owe the government? How do we navigate in our culture? And Jesus had it in his day, and they were trying to figure this out. And, And Jesus lays out two balancing principles, claims about God and the civil government. He lays it out. He said, I want you to give to the emperor the things that are the emperor's and and give to God the things that are God's. So that's the principle. He said there's a a place for the government and there's a place for God. So let me talk just just very briefly about how, how we view the government. 
Again, Jesus is facing this, this very hostile audience. They're, they're eager to try to trip him up with this question. That they, they want to expose him. And they say to him, as a teacher of all that is true, would he pay taxes to Caesar? And Jesus takes a coin, and he looks at the engrave upon it, and the image is there, and he says, render to Caesar to what is Caesar's. And the immediate the impact that Jesus gives to them, that, that money is a system that comes and flows from the government. The government set up that money, that exchange, and we should pay tribute to the government that, that, that demands the tribute. Now, now, Jesus could have stopped right there. His teaching would have simply instructed to give to Caesar the things that belong to Caesar, but, but he goes further, doesn't he? he then he adds, and, and give to God the things that are God. So again, what Jesus is going to lay out for us, and where, where you and I start every day in this culture right now, is understanding there is a place for government, and there's a place for God. But by bringing God into consideration, Jesus introduces this, this new dimension because the idea and the reality of a Caesar or a government is, is, a, is a grand and, and mighty thing. But as soon as you place it next, as you place any government next to the, to the power, the majesty of God, the, the statue of that government comes into real perspective. Because Caesars, like all other kingdom rulers, is going to one day perish. Is that true or not? Come on. One day all the kingdoms of the world are going to erode and they're going to go away. So write this, write this down. Jesus is teaching us that governments are to reflect God's greater rule. That's why we have governments. He said, give Caesar what Caesar, give God, give, give to God. And he said there's a rightful zone of activity that just simply belongs to government. And we have to understand that. But then he adds the government should never be confused with the authority behind all authority. Come on. You understand that? Whatever nation we're living in, now we're blessed to live in the United States of America. But listen, Jesus wants us to understand that we should never confuse any authority behind the authority. Because listen, he wants us to know when governments move in and they start merely, they move from merely tolerating sin to celebrating sin, we have to be careful. When governments start seeking to force a Christian to betray their understanding of his lordship in our lives, namely that Jesus Christ is Lord and not Caesar or government, any other thing, we have to be careful. Remember Daniel in the Old Testament when he found out that King Darius had issued a decree that, that no prayer should be made to any other god besides him, and it would be illegal. The Bible says in Daniel 6 and 10 that when Daniel knew the writing was signed, he went home, he opened his upper window with his windows toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knee three times a day, and he prayed and he gave thanks before God, as was his custom since his early days. He knew what was, he knew the potential of what would happen to him, and yet he knew there was a higher commitment to somebody other than the King Darius. Are you with me right now? Same thing happens in the New Testament. You get to Acts chapter 4. We read how that Peter and John were commended by, by the rulers and the Pharisees not to preach or teach in the name of Jesus. 
But Peter and John answered, he said, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you more than God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. And they went on to say in, in Acts 5 and 29, we ought to obey God rather than man. Now listen, in both consequences, they knew, in both situations, they knew there was consequences for going against the government authorities. Daniel was thrown into the lion's den. Peter and John was in prison and beaten. But they understood when the government oversteps in an area that is clearly against what God said, that's to be one allegiance. You follow me? That's to be one. And Jesus is going to teach us that. He, he teaches us to the Christian in our culture today. We must be able to say with Daniel or with the apostle, we must obey God rather than man. But now in the midst of that, now watch this. He, he, he urges the disciples to give government its due. What is he doing? He, Jesus broke with those advocating violent revolution against Rome. Jesus never, never for once ever advocated that we should run. Listen, so, so many Christians today have forgot the Bible said, and these signs shall follow them to believe. He wasn't talking about picket signs. Well, good preaching, Pastor Phil. He said, the signs will follow me. Jesus broke with those that advocated. There, there was those that was advocating a revolution against Rome. Jesus said, no, listen, you have to understand there's, there's, there's benefits from, the, from the, the Caesar. There's benefit from the emperors. We have the roads. We have the courts. We have the postal system. And listen, it's reasonable to expect that we should pay taxes. God never advocated against us not doing what we owe or paying what we owe to the due person. Render to Caesar and render to God. Am I preaching yet? So he balances that. There's a higher authority. And if that higher authority ever steps in and tries to forbid you to do something that God's word tells you to do, or that higher, that authority steps in and tries to get you to do something that God says don't do, you better have one allegiance, and that's to God himself. But if it's not going against the Bible... You need to pay attention to the government. Paul says it like this in Romans 13. Let everyone be subject to the governing authority. For there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. You understand that? No king, no ruler, no president, nobody comes up unless God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. Paul is telling us, just like Jesus, that government is a part of God's design. We need government. We need laws. Why? It, it, it helps us have order. Laws helps us to restrain evil. And in a culture like ours today, we have to do our very best to line up and be the best citizen that we can possibly be and obey the laws for our benefit because God has established that authority. Uh, I, I knew I was going to challenge some of your worldview. I understand. I understand. I understand. But I'm just telling you what the Bible says. Because here's the next thing that Jesus said. He was careful. 
and is always careful not to give government unqualified sovereignty over human life. Because no sooner did he concede the, emperor, the, the, the emperors of that day, the Roman government, their rightful claims, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. He moved their attention and he said, oh, by the way, and give to God the things that are God. What's he talking about? He's ultimately talking about Jesus' kingship. Because you get, when you read Matthew 24 and 25, Jesus declares his kingship. Jesus declares that he will be the one and the only one that will sit on the glorious throne. And he will be the king of kings of all nations. And the people will gather around him and they will worship him. And him alone is the king of kings and lord of lords. What does that mean? All real authority derives from God. We have to understand that. Now, we're blessed to live in America, and there are, there are so many freedoms that you and I enjoy because we live in this great nation. But even now, in this nation right now, Christ's rule can, can seem so remote to us sometimes because we become obsessed with cable news and social media, uh, obsessed moment by moment, day by day, over the, over the rush of decisions and activities and controversies that, that surround all the politicians of our culture today. But we have to be wise to understand that while politicians' reign is real, it's always limited. Understand that. Why politicians' reign and rule is real, it's limited. There is one God, He is sovereign, He is Lord, and we must always give our allegiance to that. There's a place for government. Come on, you with me? You ought to pay your taxes just like you ought to pay your tithes. Because we need the money. Our schools, our roads, our benefits from that. But in the midst of all of that, of understanding the place for the government, we understand it is God that gives the sovereign root. It is him, the one, that allows all authority derives from God. So here's the government. What about our biblical witness right now? We, 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 we understand today Despite the principles that Jesus has laid out for us, managing the, the competing claims of God and government, Jesus never established a, a comprehensive political theory. Okay? He never, he never did that. He had never had a, this is my political thesis, I want you to read this. Jesus never got in the weeds of politics. Why? Because his ultimate passion was the kingdom of God, not the kingdoms of this world. You understand that? And Jesus knew that his followers, those that would come after the disciples and the apostles, he knew that his followers, they would live and proclaim the kingdom of God under all kinds of governments, ranging from systems like the Rome to democracies just like our own. Jesus knew that. It's the reason why he didn't have a, a political thesis that he went after. Because, listen, what we're able to accomplish and do in the United States of America under democracy, can I tell you, there are constant threats that many of our missionaries and many of our fellow believers and churches experience in other countries where there is not this kind of freedom. But ultimately, it's the kingdom of God. 
the reign of his kingdom. But since we are in America, what does it mean to be a good Christian citizen in the United States of America right now? We've seen the video. We have unprecedented division between political parties and races and, and social and economic classes and nations and lifestyle groups. I mean, you name it. We've got a presidential election year, which, which the stakes are particularly high. Is what, what, what's going to be the vision for our country that's going to prevail over the next ensuing four years? What, what should be the role of the church and the state as we live out in the midst of this? Among the multitude of moral and urgent issues that, that are still unresolved right now, what does Christian citizenship look like? What does it look like to be a follower of Jesus Christ? And, and too often, many churches merely reflect the divisions that's going on in our, in our nation today. We got, you've got some churches and, and Christ followers, they silo themselves in the congregation on one side or the other of culture divides. And you've got others who they, they kind of fall into the range of don't ask and don't tell. Hey, sirrah, sirrah, whatever will be, will be. Does God speak to this? Does he allow us to say, wait a minute, there's a place for God. There's a place for government. I understand that I have to have some, 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 some uh, giving and some surrendering to government to a point, but then where's my place with God and how do I live out my, my, my Christian faith in this plurality of culture that we're living in right now? You see, I don't want to privatize my religion to the point that I'm just a polite, pleasant person to be around, that I have no impact and no influence. Hello? And some Christians don't want to do that. They just say, well, we just want to be nice, and we want everybody to like us, and we want to be polite, we want to be pleasant, but we have no impact, and we have no influence. I want to have the kind of of God's grace. I want to make God's grace so beautiful in my life, but I also want to make it believable. How about you? How do we live as a saved saint in the midst of a Sodom-like culture right now? How about that one? Is that a good one? How do you live as a Christ follower with a culture that is moving so far away from the biblical teachings? How do we, do we sidle ourselves and just draw the line and say, this is right and this is wrong and we're here? Or do we find a way, wait a minute, maybe Jesus is teaching us something. Give Caesar what belongs to Caesar. Give God what belongs to God. Look at what 1 Peter chapter 2 says. Now watch this. I think this is going to give us some clarity. Submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as a supreme authority or to the governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Then he says, live as free people. But do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. So what's this? I, 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 think there's some, I think there's at least four things that God is going to challenge us with right now. I, I understand government. I know there's a place for that. 
And, and I know I understand that there's rules and there's laws and there's a place for that. And yet God says, I put you in this world. The Bible says in Matthew 5, he said, you are the light. Look at your neighbor and say, you are the light of the world. Let's, let's say that. Say, you're the light of the world. Now, I've heard, I've heard people say, oh, bless God, you know, in the last days, the world's going to get darker and darker, and the church is going to get brighter and brighter. Hallelujah. Realize how ridiculous that sounds? We are the light. He didn't say we're the light of the church. Did he? We're the light of the world. There's something wrong for a Christ follower. Listen, when it's okay for the world getting darker and darker and the church getting brighter and brighter. No, we, we have misplaced light. You're the light of the world. You're a city that's set on a hill that cannot be hid. They want to say, what do you do with a candle? He said, you put it on a candlestick. See, there, there's nothing to boast about the church being bright and the world being dark. Listen, we are called to be the light of the world. We're not supposed to be pulling back from the world. We're not supposed to be isolating us. We're supposed to be in the midst of this dark world and shining as bright lights. Come on, somebody help me just a little bit. We're the light of the world. Truth be told, our city should be getting better because the church is in it. Do you know what the sad thing about it? Every study out there in cities where there's large mega churches, I mean member churches where there's thousands upon thousands of members, in those cities, the stats of that city, the social stats of that city is worse than any other city. Why is that? The church is the light of the world. But what happened is we may be in here, we may be bright shining, and we may be feeling good about ourselves and say, well, that's just the world. It's getting darker. No, it should not be getting darker because we should be in the world giving the light of Jesus. Well, yeah, I, I, I know I'm, I'm going to challenge you just a little. And I, I'm preaching to the choir because this church, listen, we, we, are, we are far beyond so many others when it comes to the mindset. How can we have an impact and influence in our communities? But how, do, how, do we be a, how can we be a constructive Christian citizen in this, in this culture we're living in? First thing is that there has to be an end to blind patriotism. Now just, just stay with me just a second. Despite our love for the country, despite our love for this nation, I love this nation. I, I fly a flag. My dad flew a flag. He loves a flag. I have a flag because my dad loved a flag. I put one out there when we, when we moved out there a couple years ago. But listen, despite my love for the country, I have but one Lord, and he's Jesus Christ. His ultimate claim on me should always tower over the claim of any country or any nation. When somebody says, my country, right or wrong, that represents the worst idolatry I could ever hear. Because listen, there are times when principle demands a true patron. When we know something is not right, we have to be willing as a loving critic to stand up and say, wait a minute, something is wrong with this picture. 
And we do that not because we're trying to be mean or harsh and simply mean, because we have but one Lord, we have but one leader, and we surrender ourselves, and we anchor ourselves in God, not some political party in a nation. Listen, I'm not a person of the donkey. I'm not a person of the elephant. I am the person of the lamb and the lion. That's where... That's where ultimate lordship and leadership has to come from. And we have to understand, Jesus said, you're in the world, but you're not of the world. But I've sent you into the world. And understand the positive contributions that the government gives us, uh, the government's outlined in Romans chapter 13. It has to be balanced with the understanding that governments can turn very demonic at times. All you have to do is go to the book of Revelations in Revelations 13. You'll, You'll see a demonic misuse of government powers when you get to the book of Revelations 13. The government is so demonic that the beast begins to promote imperial worship and it starts persecuting the church like it never has before. And historians have, have, have said that tragically the Holocaust went unlargely challenged, unchallenged. It went unlargely unchallenged by the German church because there was blind patriotism that allowed people to sit down and say nothing. We can't afford to do that, folks. Listen, I put this in your notes. Here's the principle. Obey except when commanded to sin. I love the government. I'm going to pay my taxes. I'm going to obey the rules of the law. I'm going to drive the best I can drive. I'm going to do all I can do. But listen, when it comes to listen, when it comes to sin, if the government says do something that God says don't do, listen, my allegiance is to God, country or no country. Uh, you, you, you can say it another way. Submit to the point at which it becomes sin to do so. If the government tells you to do something that God says don't do, you better have allegiance to God. Here's the second thing. How do we, as Christ followers in this culture, how do we live in a biblical way? Listen, we must respond as a foreigner in exile because that's who we are. Listen, I, I, again, I love this nation. And I, listen, I, I participate in the good of this land that, that God's providence has placed me. You, you, you ever stopped and, and realized the providential sovereignty of God that allowed you to be born in the United States of America or allowed you to be able to get to this country from another country? You had nothing to do with the birth of your country. You had nothing to do with it. You understand? It was a sovereignty of God. Why, why was it you born in Ukraine? Why was it you born in some tribe in Africa? I don't know. The sovereignty of God is all I can say. And listen, because I live in such a great nation, listen, I enjoy and I participate in the good of this country, but I do so as a pilgrim and a stranger. I'm a foreigner to this country. You understand that? 
Listen, but because I am here and God placed me here on his providence, I want to defend this country. I want to beautify this country. I want to seek the welfare of this country. I want to use my gift and my resources to make this country more prosperous, more fruitful, and more good. I'm going to push back on the darkness wherever I find it, but I'm going to do so understanding I'm just passing through. I'm not trying to set up a kingdom. There's only one kingdom that's going to stand forever. Some of you right now, you're trying to make your heaven here. Listen, it ain't going to work. Every house, every home, everything you have, enjoy it while you can. I'm not against that. But don't think you're going to stay here forever. We're pilgrims. We're passing through this land. But while we're here, don't curse it. Don't post horrible things about your nation's leaders. We're supposed to be praying for them. Look at Jeremiah 29 and 4. Some of the prophets in Jeremiah, they were in Jeremiah's day, they were exhorting the Jewish citizens that were now living in exile. And Jeremiah says this. He said, thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. They are there on God's assignment. You understand that? But he said, don't curse that place while you're there. Don't, don't woe is me, feel bad, complain, gripe about the government, about this. He said, I want you to build houses. I want you to live in them. I want you to plant garden. I want you to eat their produce. I want you to take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. You see what he's telling? In the midst of this pagan country, I want you to do your best. He said, seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. Wow. Wow. Instead of being discouraged about being where we are, open your eyes and participate in the good that's happening, but, but do it in a way to understand we're just pilgrims passing through. We're not here forever, but I want to bless my city. I want to pray for my city. I want to lift up my city. Because I, I, I want to be the best citizen that I can possibly be. Why? Because I, I, I'm, I'm living in obedience to what God tells me. I have this blind patriotism. I, I live as a foreigner in, in exile. And thirdly, I have a responsible participation in the political process. Now listen to me carefully. Our nation is not flawless. Our nation is not perfect by no means. But if, if I understand where my true loyalty is in him, and I understand where God has placed me in this place, in, a, in the United States of America, in Indiana, in Valparaiso, northwest Indiana, then I understand, wait a minute, there, there is a responsibility that I have. 
1 Timothy 2 and 1 says that we should pray for our government leaders. Titus 3 and 1 says we we should obey the laws. We should pay our taxes, Romans 13 and 6. And certainly for Christians that are blessed to live in a democracy, a democracy like ours, don't you, don't you think the bar might be even higher? Because democracy means that citizens have a voice and we can vote how our lives are governed. And listen, have you ever thought about why in the world is 2 or 3% of the people allowed to sway the entire culture? Because sometimes 95, 96, 97% of the people are keeping their mouth shut. In the last several years, every, po- every political um, vote that's been cast and every, every decision that's been made, stat after stat came out of the, of the literally hundreds of thousands of Christians that sat at home and did not go to the polls and vote. Listen, as a Christ follower living in this nation, listen, we should be informed about pressing issues of our day, and we should, when elections are held, we should go and we should vote our biblical conscience. It's our responsibility. Hey, Sarah, Sarah, no, no, that's not what God says. We have a role here. We have a participating role. We should be involving ourselves. I know where my allegiance is. I know where all authority comes from. But because I live in this great nation, sometimes it means holding electorate appointed offices. Listen, we've got people right now in this church who serve in public offices, who educators, teachers, uh, principals, uh, superintendents. We've got nurses. We've got people who are constantly giving of themselves. And listen, they face all kind of public scrutiny. But listen, having a conscientious Christian in those public places, listen, what a great testimony it is. I love our Christian uh, H4K school. I love that we're providing a need in our community that is there, that's needed. Well, listen, I don't want every education, every leader to leave our public schools. No, we need you there. You are there for a purpose and a reason. And if you understand that, God can use you as a bright, shining light. It's not easy. It's not easy to work in some of the places that some of you work. It'd be much easier to to leave there and go to different places. But God has given you talents and gifts and ability, and he's opened the door, and he said, this is where I place you. Why don't you stand there and say, God, help me to be a bright, shining light in this place. I don't want to walk away from that factory, that, that, that steel mill, or that office and say, oh, I'll tell you what, there's just so much darkness and blackness there, I'll tell you what. I just, no, I want to walk away and say, you know what, it may be dark in there, but I guess what, I'm, I'm lighting the light, and the light is starting to fill that room up. Well, I thought I'd get more love than this when I come back from vacation, but that's okay. Maybe next week. Finally, Christian citizenship means maintaining a vital alternative community called the church. 
Listen, the most important service that the church can provide the state, the government, is to be a faithful witness to God's claim upon this earth. I know we get exposed by every side of culture pressure today, and we, we right, right now, come on, Pastor Lindsay, right now we, we live between the struggle. There, there's two temptations right now for, for Christ followers to get in. Two temptations. One is escapism. Is escapism. God, get us out of here. Oh, I've been praying, praying for the rapture. Oh, I, I've heard about the rapture and Jesus coming. Lord, this could be the day. And Lord, I hope this is the day. And Lord Jesus, please come soon and just get us out of this old dark world. And I believe in the rapture. I, I believe that Jesus is going to rapture his church. I don't believe that he's going to beat up his bride before he comes after his bride, okay? Now, if, you're, if, you're, if, you're, if you want to believe, you want to go through all great tribulation and all hell breaking loose in Revelation chapter 13 and all, that's your forte. You go ahead. I just believe that he loves his bride. And I, well, listen, why does it make sense the church is called the bride of Christ. Why would it make sense? Who in their right mind that's about to get married would send somebody to beat up on their bride, to whoop up on their bride, take all the frustration out on their bride, and then, oh, I want you to present her to me. No, she's beat up. She's worn tag, ragged. God ain't going to do that to his church. I don't know whether it's pre-trib or mid-trib. But I know one thing, he's going to get us out of here before all his wrath. He never punished the righteous with the unrighteous. You have to understand that. But we have this, we have this temptation for some Christians right now. It's just, it's just escapism. But the other temptation is accommodation. Sadly, for some, the, the prevailing mindset in our culture is just to accommodate. We get exposed to the culture pressure that's incompatible with the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And instead of us wrestling with that tension and saying, God, I know you are Lord of Lords and King of Kings, and I want to stand for the truth, and I want to have a biblical worldview, we just decide it's easier if I just accommodate such sins. And I just say, oh, maybe it's not that bad, and... You follow me? Temptation is escapism or accommod accommodation. Yet one of the major themes in the Bible is that God calls his people out to himself. The church is been, has been called to live out a different vision for our culture at large. The church is supposed to be the, 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 uh, the, the embodiment of of proclaiming and confessing the lordship of Jesus Christ and his rulership above everything. Listen, true freedom only comes through Christ. Again, we celebrate freedom in a couple of days. We've been free, and men and women have given their lives. And listen, we will celebrate that. We remember. But we also understand that our true freedom can only happen through the blood of Jesus Christ. He's the one that sets us free. And the church has been called to lead and to carry out
that echo and that message of you can be free in Jesus. But the sad thing about it is so many people today have a, have a false picture of what the church is. Some people think the church is just a gas station. You just come in on a Sunday or a Thursday and you just, it's a place where you get your spiritual tank filled up. You hear a good sermon, you, you have some fellowship, and you just, you know, they keep you going for another week. Oh, pastor, you fill me up this week. I, I can make it another week. And it's a gas station. Other people have a picture that the church is some movie theater. It's a place where you just come and you're entertained by the worship, by the message. And for an hour, you're able to escape all the uncomfortableness of this world. Oh, I just leave my problems at the door, pastor. I just come in and it just feels so good. Some people think the church is a drugstore. It's a therapeutic place where you come and get your prescription for your painkiller this week. Oh, good preaching, Pastor Phil. That's not the church. Those things can happen as part of our gathering, but you won't find any of those pictures of the church in the Bible. They're distortions because, listen, they all have one thing in common. Are you ready? The one thing in common with all those pictures is it's all about me. Fill me up. Entertain me, Pastor. Take away my pain. Give me more programs. It's pure consumerism. The church was never designed to be filled with consumers but with contributors. Shreese and Paul said, you're the body of Christ. You're the hand, the eye, the foot, the whatever. He said, it takes all of us together, working together. Listen, I, listen again, I know I'm preaching to the choir this church, because listen, we do so. Listen, I, we're building a $15 million sunshine center. You understand how that's going to impact our Northwest Indiana for the good? Nobody else is doing that. You understand how the families that's going to be brought in, the families that have the potential of hearing the gospel that may not never hear the gospel, simply because this church is saying we're going to move forward and we're going to do what nobody else is doing. Because why? We're the church, not the building. You're the church. I'm the church. The reason why our campuses don't look alike I was in a place not too many weeks ago, and, and they purposely designed, they want all their churches to look just alike. Why? We're in different cities, different communities. I don't care what a building looks like. This is our gathering place. This is our information place. This is where the Holy Spirit can pour something into us. The church is you. The church is me. When we walk out of this world, we walk out of this church, we walk into the world, and we bring bright light that's shining for Jesus Christ. That's what the church is all about. is it about how people can recognize the church by the building. I care less. I want them to recognize the church by seeing signs following the believers. I'm not talking about picket signs either. Signs of healing, miracles. But a miracle happened right over here. A testimony, a miracle that happened. Miss Julie, with your son, diagnosed one way, went back to the doctor after prayers, totally, totally diagnosis was, was, was not there. He's not sick. He doesn't have the disease. Come on, give the Lord a, come on, give the Lord a good hand clap of praise. 
That's what the church is about. Listen, we have to fix our eyes heavenly. We have to fix our eyes upward. We pray, our Father, which art in heaven. Here's my question. How big is your ORU? This church has got a big hour. When we say our Father, we ain't just talking about our nucleus here. We ain't just talking about what gathers at Wadata and North Johnson or Hebert or Valpo or Online or Westville. We're talking about our Father which art in heaven. How would be thy name? Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth. You know where the earth is? Right here. This is the earth. You are made out of the dust of the earth. I'm made. Thy kingdom come. Your will be done in earth as it is in heaven. God, I, I know there's a place for government. Lord, I understand that. But listen, there has to be an end to blind patriotism. The America that we knew is not the same America that some of us grew up in. Get over it, okay? Get over it. It's not coming back like that. And that's okay because there's a bigger kingdom. Oh, I, I, You can send me an email to I don't give a rip.com, okay? Just again, I love this nation. It's, I'm I'm not, but this nation is different today than what it was 25 years ago or 30 years ago or 50 years ago. That's okay. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He hasn't changed, his power hasn't changed. We're seeing God do miraculous things around this world in other nations where they don't have near the freedom, near the democracy that the United States do. You know why they're doing it? Because their focus is upon him. Their focus is upon his power and his glory. Thy kingdom come. Thy glory come. Thy will be done, Lord. Do it. Do it. Do it in my life. An end of blind patriotism. Respond as a foreigner in, a, in an exile land. Be a responsible participant in our political process. If you don't vote, you have no reason to gripe. God, help us. Lord, your lordship and your leadership in our lives. I want us to pray for two things this morning as we get ready to close. Number one, I want us to pray for our, our country, our nation. We celebrate 247 years Tuesday. And I want us to pray for our nation. I know that some of you are like me. You, you get frustrated with the politics in Washington or politics in Indianapolis and you, you listen to this leader and that leader and listen, I, I, I can understand your frustration. I listen to enough news to know what's happening, but not enough to get me to lose my salvation. But in spite of that, we have to obey the Bible. The Bible says, pray for those in authority. I don't care whether he's got a D behind their name or an R behind their name or nothing behind their name. We're supposed to pray for our government leaders. 
not pray that they die or pray that they bad thing. We pray blessing upon them. Because if our nation is blessed, our city is blessed, so will we be blessed. A few years ago, we took a stand in northwest Indiana about an ordinance that's being passed. We did it. We stood alone. There wasn't hardly any pastors that would stand with us, but we did it in love. We, 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 we did it with the right attitude. We didn't do it mean-spirited. It still went through, but they knew how they knew where Pastor Phil, they knew where Heartland was. Just a couple of years later when COVID hit, things was happening, rules was coming down. We're going to shut down this. I got a call from the mayor's office and we want to talk to Dr. Phil, Heartland Pastor. We want to, and the mayor and I had a conversation about, hey, this is what they're saying. This how, what can I do? Help me pray. Help me navigate this. You know what that is? That's respect. That's what we want to carry in this community. That's what you want to have in the place where you work. In the place, community where you live, is to carry that respect. They know we have loyalty to one and one only, and that's to God. But we respond to government in the ways that God allows us to respond to it. And one of the ways, he said, pray for the government. Pray for the leaders. And I want to challenge you. Now, next week, I'm going to... We're going, to, we're going to have another challenging question. I don't know why Pastor Matt's signing me all these questions. <laughs> Truth be known, I'm, I'm a son in myself. Because I love this church. And I, I love the impact and the influence that we have in Northwest Indiana. But I don't know what the next election is going to hold. I don't know where the economy is going. But listen, I do know God's favor and blessing upon us and you will carry us through anything. You understand that? That's where he's, where our hope and help is in, is always in God. Thank you for listening to Heartland Christian Center Sermon of the Week. If you would like to partner with us and give, please go to hcc.ag and click to give tab. Please like, follow, and share this podcast with others. Also, if you have a prayer request or want to contact Heartland, please email us at pastorphil at hcc3d.com. Have a blessed week.